Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. America. The only thing I'm going to need from you guys right now is a cup of coffee. Today's global economy waits for no man. America. Today's global business climate is like, whatever, dude. Politics is a dirty game. I'm not sure we want to play. There are forces here at work that you couldn't possibly understand. You have no idea how high up this goes. Welcome to Wiggins America. Welcome to your weekend. This is Wiggins America, and you are dialed in. You are tuned in. I am caffeinated up, and maybe you are too. I mean, it's early enough, right? So thank you for being here this morning. I uh, Maybe you've heard I had COVID, and uh, right at the end of last week is when I really found out. So was able to talk with you last Saturday, and then I was flat on my back for about four days. I shouldn't say flat on my back for four days. I was laid out for maybe a day and a half, two days before I could really start doing a whole lot. And ultimately, it was just the same as a really bad cold. Now, let me give you a little bit of history, because I think over the last couple years, the month by month of things has changed so much that you forget what was happening every month. We all remember March 2020. That's like the almost like a where were you moment, except it was a little bit, (laughs) there wasn't like who shot JFK moment where everybody found out at the same time. It was a bit of a domino effect over about three or four days when things started shutting down. But everybody remembers what it was like in March of 2020. Now, at the end of 2020, if you recall, President Trump was really pushing. He was warp speed, Operation Warp Speed for the vaccines because the vaccines were the savior. That was going to change everything. It was going to uh, save lives and it was going to reduce the amount of government interference in your life and it was supposed to be all these things which was very naive of us to think that once we gave power to anybody that they were going to easily give it back because they didn't ultimately we got the vaccines or people did and not much changed there was a moment there where they started to go hey you can take your masks off and that was like a bait and switch for a lot of people to get the vaccine if they could just take their mask off at target or whatever and they did and then they couldn't Remember that? That was kind of the middle. That was about March, April of 2021 is when that happened. But I'm going back to October of 2020 here, reliving it because we forget that's actually when the vaccine was ready. And remember, November 3rd, 2020, the election. A lot of, we're going to talk about that a lot. We're going to talk about some 2,000 mules this morning. Now, it's a two-hour show, so I don't know if we'll get to all 2,000 of the mules, but let's try to talk about a good 1,500 of those mules. We'll do that. But in 2020, in November, 
those vaccine companies that we've grown to love I and mean, we all respect and, and trust them, right? Um, they didn't release the vaccine when it was available because of the election. They had it ready at the end of, November, of, of uh, October. They didn't announce it until the second week of November because they said they didn't want to be political. Basically, they didn't want to benefit Donald Trump is what you look back and you go, oh, that yeah, that sure would have. People were clamoring for him. Although the parties were switched, weren't they? Uh, those of us who were hoping for an end to the pandemic and, and the effects of the pandemic, not just the the uh, medical part of it, but the social part of it, were saying, uh, yeah, let's get a vaccine so we can get back to normal here. Let's open things back up. Now, Kamala Harris and the Democrat leaders, and I don't remember where the average Democrat was on this, but I would have to think that the average Democrat would echo Democratic leadership at the time in saying, well, if it's a Trump vaccine, I don't really trust it. You remember that? That's why we're walking back through this here. It's a little personal to me, of course, having COVID this week. But then they announced that they have the vaccines. So you may have been among those original, that original group that said, oh, man, I want to get the vaccine. I want to get back to normal. In November, they were only allowing you to get it if you were among a high-risk group. And then December was kind of the same way. By January, I think they were kind of opening it up to where anybody could sign up and go get it. So what did you do? Did you wait? Did you try to get on the list? A lot of people, regardless of political affiliation, were just like, hey, give me the freaking vaccine. I don't want to get coronavirus. Been a lot made about this thing. So here's where my story fits into this. I got coronavirus, the original 1.0 version, in December of 2020. And so did my entire family, my kids, my wife, we all got it. And so at that moment, it was almost Christmas, which was really convenient. My wife's a teacher. So we were able to kind of take full Christmas break off, recover, not worry about missing a whole lot of work because we were off most of that anyway. It was actually fairly convenient. Our whole family got it. So we quarantined together and knocked the whole thing out, did Christmas maybe one day late, I think, or or something. We may, may have actually been able to do it. I can't remember. We were right on the border there because the quarantines were so much longer at that point, which, oh, the science. That's changed, but it's just science. You got to trust the science. So we never really had to deal with vaccine questions because as somebody who trusts the science, we knew that we had natural immunity for a long time. Now they said well, a minimum of three months. Okay, well... <laughs> Okay, well, we knew that at least for three months, we didn't really have to think about it. But we also knew it's longer than three months. That's just what one random person on the internet said somewhere, and a whole bunch of people repeated, well, the minimum is three months. You probably want to get something after three months. But we said, okay, well, we'll get tested at least for antibodies after, I don't know, four or five months. Just see how we're doing, which we did. Well, my wife did anyway. Sky-high antibodies. I waited for... Nine, 10 months to get mine tested, sky high antibodies. We're talking if you're above a 0.8, you were immune. If you were below a 0.8, you were not immune. My number was 1,414. It's a little little bit above a (laughs) 0.8. So I was like, gosh, I got nothing to worry about. And I skipped the whole vaccine debate because of exactly when we got coronavirus. And then it became a political issue because in the first few months of 2021, it wasn't. It was a matter of, We got a new administration in that's now saying, get the vaccine, and they were making it more political, and they were forcing people to start take it, and then people started to dig their heels in and say, 
uh, wait a minute, I don't know about this. And people were questioning the science that was being put out by the vaccine makers, which were making a lot, a lot of money. And then it became a political issue where you fell on one side or the other or you didn't know where to fall and you hated everything because you didn't want to be dealing with these stupid issues about your own freaking health. And it was all part of public policy. We'll fast forward to May of 2022. <laughs> That's right now. And um, I guess it's mutated enough that even though we have antibodies, because like I said, it's been, been within about five months or six maybe a little bit more than that, that I got tested for antibodies and was was great. So I think this is probably what viruses do. They mutate around people's natural immunity or vaccine immunity or whatever it may be for any virus, not just this one. And uh, they make themselves more accustomed to uh, your, your, your non-defense parts of your body. And then we got it again. And so I was, I was uh, on my back for a couple of days, like I said, uh, but glad to be back with you here. And the only thing left, the only symptom I'm really feeling left is just tired. So that was a long intro to tell you that uh, I'm going to really push. I'm going to push. <laughs> we we do have a lot of really good show, though. Um, because I was off, I had a lot of time to plan a great show. And so y- we get to do that this morning. And I'm glad that you get to participate, at least in a part of that. Thank you for being here at the first part of it. But at the beginning of next hour... So first segment, hour two, one of my favorite guests is going to be on. His name is Trent Luce. Now, this is not the topic du jour of the week, but it's something that's been boiling. Actually, I guess it is one of the main headlines this week. You've been seeing the baby food shortages and all that stuff, right? So that's kind of a big deal. And it's weird, isn't it, how it moves from thing to thing to thing? You know, this week it'll be baby food. Next week it'll be eggs or next week it'll be something else and i say eggs on purpose because uh in talking to trent loose who will be my guest at the beginning of next hour he is a he is a farmer rancher food advocate he knows the governments and governors of basically every midwestern to mid-southern state and the dude is super connected and he warns governors about things like Kami Chinese Party buying land. Uh, He warns about industries being purchased by foreign entities. Or, as is going on right now, there's this avian Asian bird flu. And I don't know a whole lot about it. You may have just heard a nibble about it. He said that's really a bigger concern than we're making it. And we're going to talk to him about that. We're going to talk to him about these food processing plants catching on fire. We're going to find out the real lowdown about what we can expect over the next couple of weeks, next couple of months, maybe even into the next year as far as your food supply and what things might be affected and what things might not. Hopefully it's not a lot, but he knows. Stick around for that. We got a lot of great show. That was a great tease for one segment, but there's a whole lot more than that. This is Wiggins America. Stay tuned. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. As I walk down the highway, all I do is sing a song. 
So we really packed the show this week with a lot of great guests because our normal cast is just completely out. I talked to them and they said, we don't want to do the show anymore. We're done. We're done with you. And it's entirely the way that I treat people off the air. And I understand that. Uh, I knew this day would come because I treat people so badly, uh, Trisha and old Roy. In here, it's all jokes and fun, but off air, it is not good. Um, and that's on me, and I knew this day would come. And I knew that they would abandon me eventually just because you, you can only put up with that kind of abuse for so long. Um, of course, this is all not true. They are um, they do hate me. That's true. But they uh, there's some sickness, and so we're going to delay a little bit some of the comedy stuff that we had for this week that we love doing until next week. But for right now, instead of our normal scripted comedy, I took a bit of a bit that we did this week. So I also appeared on the Andy Fry Show, of course, this week. And we did a thing called What Does That Cost? We're spending, or we're about to, $40 billion more dollars on Ukraine. So $40 billion. Oh, what does that mean? I don't know. So I put together this whole kind of game show concept around what exactly is $40 billion. When you hear it, do you even care anymore? Here's that. It's Wiggins America. So, as you can tell by the music, a little bit different. A little bit different Wiggins America today. This is really over the top. Thank you. This is the most work you've ever put in anything. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) And I did it right at the last second. I know. We were literally waiting to start the show so this thing could import. Yeah. Brad's going, oh, good, please import. (laughs) And I was like, it'll be fine. And it was. All right. Um, So the game we're playing here is called, Is It More Than We're Spending in Ukraine? I'm going to list a few things here. And you can tell me whether or not you think it's more or less than we're about to spend in Ukraine. This isn't even including all the money we've already spent. This is the, just the money we're about to spend. $40 billion. $40 billion. What can you get for less than $40 billion? What can you get for less or more? Because a couple of these are more. So, so I'm not going to, I'm so throwing a couple it, of curveballs in can, here. It's either, we do actually need to guess. You have to guess. These are not all. It's not just all proving a point. Okay. A couple of these are actually more than we're spending in Ukraine, but not a lot of them. Okay. All right. First one, both of you take a guess at this one. The entire cost of DoorDash and Instacart put together. Ooh. Is it more or less than $40 billion? I'm going to just go less. This is as a test taker, I think that the first one should be less. Otherwise, bad choice. That's a good part. instinct. Brad, are you going with that too? DoorDash and Instacart together. Yeah, the companies. entire cost of the company. Like the if, federal government could own DoorDash and they, Instacart and screw the whole thing up at once. <laughs> yeah, okay. exactly. For the yeah. low, low price of less than $40 billion, I'm locking in. Okay. Wait, I'm going to say Brad over. You are incorrect, Brad. Uh, DoorDash Woo! and Instacart only cost $21 billion put between them. It's a deal. Yeah, it's it is a deal. A deal. Now, we're not advocating that the government buy those companies and ruin or them. Or anything. Or, yeah, nothing. <laughs> In fact, all of these other things could go private, and that would be fine, too. Fantastic. How about the, how about NASA? <laughs> 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 uh, I'm going to go over. I I'm, I hope slash don't hope, but I'm going to go over. And when Lots you say over, you, you're saying that say it costs NASA more than $40 is more billion. expensive than $40 billion. Okay, Brad? Are we <laughs> asking <laughs> the annual budget? Of, yes. Not oh, to purchase NASA. Okay. Then the I'm going to say Elon under. Musk could probably be legit interested in that. You're right. I'm going to say under. And at a yearly budget of $22 billion Holy a year. Holy cow, you could have almost two NASAs. It is, in fact, less than we're going to spend 
in Ukraine because oh we've already said, said we've already spent more than this. But 20th Century Fox, <laughs> you know, all of 20th Century Fox it was just purchased by Disney. So every single movie franchise that's ever been made by 20th Century but not Fox. Fox News because Disney doesn't except own Fox for Fox News. News that's what's, right. What's, what's their organization? How are they not Fox? Uh, I, are they still called News Corp? Maybe. Okay. Um, but yeah, it didn't include Fox 20th News. Century Fox? 20th Century Fox. All the entertainment properties of 20th Century Fox. I don't know. Less. Now, this this is I'm, public news because this was I'm just purchased by Disney. It was actually more than 40 billion. It was 71 billion. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, we're talking about how valuable is that? That every single person probably in the world knows something. Now, now the government's going to be like, we could do $71 billion oh, in yeah, Ukraine. We could purchase that. Shoot. We could throw that out there. Like here. it's not even our money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. How about this one? Greenland. <laughs> and I do mean purchasing Greenland. I know. Like Trump. Like Trump tried Trump knows. to. Like how much Greenland is asking or how much Trump would pay for it? <laughs> how much was it valued that he, he would have to have paid or the U.S. have to have paid to Greenland purchase to be more. Greenland? I'm going to say less. Annie is correct. Oh, yes. It, it was valued at $1.7 trillion. Now, if you just do their GDP, it's actually way under $40 billion, <laughs> which is just $3 billion. So, I, you know, I because th- we this was that was one that we I didn't look it up, though. Mm-hmm. That's one that I thought of when we were discussing this through a group text. And the more I thought about it, I'm like, why didn't we buy Greenland? <laughs> I don't you know what? Think I think one one. Think about the, what yeah. we spent recently. Yes. We should have Greenland. Yes, we could have, have paid no double what they were well, here's, asking. Here's the thing, though. To buy Greenland, you have to have a seller. And I believe what the issue was is that they weren't selling. I think he's right. So I don't think they wanted it. to be bought. Yeah, Denmark, I think, owns it technically. Yes. So they would have had to say. Let's just talk to Denmark. I know. That's what we did. He, the PM yeah. said no. <laughs> it's just fun. That was such a funny story. <laughs> great. Because there's legitimate reason to actually want to buy Greenland. I mean, that. But that, just that it was Trump doing it, it was just funny. But we should have done it if we that, could do it. That would have been a modern-day Louisiana purchase. Yes. And it would have been amazing. Let's just also remember that maybe Trump will be president again, and maybe we'll have great <laughs> Yeah, money. maybe. I mean, the, the I cost of the dollar is lower than it was, though. is change it to be called really Iceland. Yes, me too. Right? Iceland or really Iceland? Really. I think yeah. you call it Trumpland. <laughs> well, I think if Trump buys it, it'll probably be called Trump. It'll probably be called, like, Magaland. Ultra yeah, Magaland. Magaland. Ultra Magaland. <laughs> I can mm-hmm. see that. You don't have right. a king. What else? All right. All Russian government debt. Oh. <laughs> do they even have debt? They do have national debt, just like most countries Less. do. Less. Over. And he's right again. Oh, Dang. man. Cut that clip. All Russian government debt is $21 billion. Uh, KMAT says Magalandia, and I'm for that. I'm <laughs> I'll for that. do that. Magalandia. Yeah. We should make some sort of game out of it like Candyland. Like where you out of Greenland? You, like you buy Greenland for kids, you know, like a board game for kids. How do you buy Greenland? <laughs> make it all like fun and you know, make it a magical bears. land. Yeah. Okay. Um, here, this one was one we kind of talked says, about. Says, let's call it Iceland, and when Iceland doesn't like that, we take them to and rename them Greenland. <laughs> <laughs> Plan, make it so. Put if there's anybody your- that's going to do it, you know who will. <laughs> Donald Trump. All right. His greatest accomplishment was correcting the Greenland Iceland crazy? debacle. That honestly would be what he would be remembered for more than anything. You remember that guy about 100 years ago? He purchased Greenland. Iceland, you and mad? Iceland? Yeah. You mad? Switched their he names. He bathed in gold flakes, too, I think. 
Um, all right. Two. The mi- front, like when you get to Greenland, there's a billboard and it's Trump with like two thumbs up. <laughs> it's Iceland. <laughs> the red tie. Yeah. Two million U.S. adoptions. This two is this is million, real. Two, two million. million. So the average cost of a, a U.S. adoption, depending on if you go through agencies and what, is about twenty thousand dollars per couple per child. I could do the math here. Since yeah. You told us that. I, right. <laughs> yeah. it, it'll take you a minute. I'm, I'm going to guess that it's a trick question and it's the same. Yeah, you're you're pretty much right. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I did the math reverse just because I thought, gosh, with you could adopt the two news million, of the day, you could adopt two million babies, two million U.S. adoptions, and right now, according to stats, there are about 117,000 that are waiting to be adopted in so the United States. So you wouldn't States. even really need to adopt two million. Correct. There, now there are about 400,000 in the foster system, but not not all of them are waiting to be adopted. Now factor in how many babies have been aborted right. that we hear from the left need to be aborted because who. Who, who could take who can care do of all of that? Yeah. And th- th- that's that's just to fund the adoption. That's not to fund taking care of them for the rest of their lives. That's just to fund them getting adopted to make it free for anybody to adopt 20, a child. Fa- the average cost is in America to adopt is $20,000. It's around $20,000. Yeah. It's it's not cheap. $500 million to Planned Parenthood on a, an annual basis. Think about how many families mm. that that could help mm-hmm. take in children. Yeah. Yeah, and that's just the, the, the passing through of the door of here's your kid, now you've got to raise it. Yeah, and they're just about to spend it like they're peeing down a hole. Twitter. Is Twitter more or less I know the answer than <laughs> $40 billion? Brad? It's more. Barely. It, you're right. It's barely more. It's $44 billion is what it's estimated to be cost. And that means that actually all the money that we've sent to Ukraine the last month would owe more than purchase Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about the wall? Which is ironic because the government previously owned Twitter and uh, now Elon Musk oh, bought it. Oh, <laughs> man, you are on fire. The wall, <laughs> the southern border wall, the entire less. wall. Yeah, less. It is far less. It's actually about half of that. We 21 billion. Yes, you could build two walls. Like build one wall and then yeah. another wall that's inside that's the, you just right on there like, haha. Well, I don't know about that. I would like to build one and then build another one on top of it. Uh, just super tall. <laughs> yeah, real tall wall. An ultra mega wall. Bigger, better, <laughs> ultra mega. Yeah, the second wall has painted on it, ultra mega yeah. wall. And you remember we shut down the government, was it 2019, over $4 billion for the wall? Mm-hmm. He was saying, look, let me just get $4 billion for this thing. No, that's too much. We're about to spend $40 billion Man, we're dumb. In Ukraine. <laughs> last one, last one. Every single copy of the top 10 best-selling albums of all time in existence, which includes Michael Jackson's Thriller, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. Are you talking like the ownership of the, the actual, actual music? album? Yeah, no, no. Or the, like, like if I buy a every record. copy that exists oh. of all oh, of the top 10 albums ever in, in creation. Dark Side of the Moon, Shania Twain's Come On Over, all <laughs> part of that. Just wanted to throw that in there. Uh, Way do you over. Think? Way over. I'm going to say over as well. You are both correct. It would only cost about $7 billion to buy every single copy of the top 10 best-selling albums of all time. Wiggins America, thanks for being here this morning. So I wanted to get on Jeremy Rigato and Andrew Peloso because they have created a new docu-series about a topic that we all are very, very familiar with. But gosh, the news cycle moves so darn fast that I've already forgotten the origins of this thing. We're talking about the Canadian trucker convoy. You guys, because you're putting together all of this information and this docu-series, walk us through the timeline of when this thing started. 
Yeah, uh, great to be with you. There's um, so basically we joined the convoy around January 20th or so. We were in talks with organizers from Canada who were putting this uh, this convoy together, and we reached out and said, "Hey, we'd like to do a little uh, capture the movement," and uh, we're blown away with how big this thing got. Um, uh, I called Jeremy, my business partner. We make media stuff and films and. Uh, I said, hey, man, you want to pack a bag and drive across the country? And uh, he's the only guy amazing enough to say yes. Uh, maybe with... crazy enough. Maybe crazy enough. <laughs> but anyways, right we jumped in, jumped in a car, grabbed the cameras. And um, at the time we started uh, joining the convoy, we put a website together. And we started receiving every day over 60,000 hits. And we had people from all across Canada, uh, the states and the world, submit their cell phone footage and and different things capturing the convoy so that's that's kind of how it started and we just feel a great responsibility but also excitement to uh get this um get this news out because it was not captured um it was completely blacklisted uh in canada at least yeah so when you guys joined up with this thing and started documenting it that was you said january 20th was that the very beginning of this convoy, or it had it already started? When, where were you when you were doing this? Yeah, um, I was in uh, Vancouver on the west side of Canada, um, actually taking a bit of holidays. My dad had sent me a link, and it was about two or three days before the convoy was going to start from the western trail. So this was right at the Ottawa. very beginning of it. Correct. So th- this was probably before a lot of us even knew this was happening. Yeah, it's it definitely before a lot of people knew it was happening. Uh, we didn't know what to expect. Uh, we thought it was going to be pretty beautiful if we could maybe capture a, a line of uh, of these trucks moving across the country. We never in our wildest dreams imagined that this could have been a thousand kilometers of trucks moving across the country together cohesively, double lane, just straight across the can- Trans-Canada. So, yeah, we were there from the beginning, and it just started growing and growing and growing. Uh, we saw millions of people on the side of the roads driving across the country, and, and that's not an exaggeration. You couldn't go 200 yards without having some some family or some town or some group of people gathered on the side of the road waving Canadian flags, cheering you on. It was It was something else. Yeah, and it became an international event. I mean, you saw these convoys popping up in basically every Western nation and some non-Western nations after the Canadian one was so successful. But talk about the uh, the environment that you were doing this within. Because you mentioned, you know, kind of a media blackout. What was the media treating this like in Canada at the time? And did that affect people coming to you to try to get source news? 100%. So, um what we experienced was a blackout from our legacy media here in, in Canada. I would actually say we have less alternative media, far less alternative media than, than you guys in the States. Um, so we were capturing this and we were literally seeing um, uh, different media uh, factions like pointing cameras in the opposite direction or, or um, you know, cropping their, their camera lenses in such a way that it looked like you know, there's maybe 20, 30 people uh, when if you turn to the left, there's like, you know, 500, 600 people at a gas stop filling up. Wow. Um, so we saw a lot of uh, 
I would say just bad faith um, as, as far as that goes. Uh, it was really, uh, we, we were trying, we we're saying, hey, we're here on the fly with our cameras just trying to cover this story. We have access to the convoy organizers, uh, did some deep dive interviews. Um, you know, we got to get this message out. And uh, there wasn't a, uh, there was no Canadian press that decided to cover it. It was actually all of you wonderful Americans that were reaching out to us. Um, we were jumping on video links as we're driving uh, and you guys were telling Canadians uh, uh, Canadian history, and uh, we we can't thank you enough for that. Right, it was amazing. crazy. It was it was literally the biggest thing that was happening in the world at that point in time because this was before Ukraine broke out, and our media wouldn't even show it. The rest of the world was showing it. We were on interviews with people in in Germany, uh, in 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 all over Europe, all around the world, down to the states. Uh, everybody wanted a piece of this story, but but our um, our our legacy press didn't want to touch it. Jeremy Regato and Andrew Peloso are with us today. They are the directors of Trucking for Freedom. It's a docu series about the Canadian convoy. So let me ask you this: throughout this process, have you seen a real drop in trust of Canadian citizens of Canadian media? Oh, absolutely. Um, and it's unfortunate. Like, we're not trying to, you know, create more of a divide here. We're just trying to get out um, the truth of the story. The truth of the, of the matter is that this convoy was a grassroots endeavor of everyday Canadians that took time out of their schedule to make a stand for freedom. Um, you know, these are freedoms that are protected uh, in Canadian legislation. And we've been seeing a watering down of, of these freedoms that, that, that should be innate. Um, yeah, I don't know any other way to describe it either than it was so grassroots, but the power of a grassroots, uh, um, faction of Canadians, um, gathering together, I think for, for powerful forces is, is a scary prospect. So, um, I think that was the reason around the a blackout there. Is that why you guys decided to do this series is because you believed in the cause or were you just documenting something that you thought was interesting at the beginning and then all of a sudden, oh my gosh, nobody's covered. Now we got to cover it. So uh, right, right off the bat, we thought to ourselves, let's go on this. We'll make a, a little tiny uh, uh, chronicle of what events happened during this. Uh, we'll release it. We're not going to put any money into it. And, uh, and it'll just sit online somewhere. Um, very, very, very quickly, that changed. Our team grew to 20 people working remote. Uh, then we ended up bringing videographers and photographers out to Ottawa. We had people dealing with uh, with all the data and all of the footage that was being sent to us back in our offices. Uh, it, it, it turned into our a collective full full time ordeal for a lot of people who already had full full time occupations, um, and, and we built a really strong team around it. And I think the the reason that we've turned it from what it was originally going to be, which was a little piece that could just show what happened, to halfway through the convoy talking about doing a documentary and starting to put some time and attention into it, and now to a, a docu-series. And the, the docu-series is because the media is going to push this under the bed and forget about it. Uh, we're doing the docu-series so that we can get pieces and components of the the, the final documentary 
out in chapters so that it stays relevant and that we can honor the movement and we can honor uh, what's what's actually going on in Canada and be relevant for uh, for for people around the world. Um, sort of a news uh, application, but but full-on cinematic documentary style. So there's going to be six chapters. This first one is actually prior to even going on the convoy, uh, and it's titled How We Got Here. Uh, and it's basically a, a sum-up of the the two years prior to the truck drivers doing what they decided to do. Oh, so like a, a context episode, you know, creating, this is the environment of why this even happened kind of thing. 100%, man. If we don't credentialize the fact that these were everyday Canadian citizens that were just fed up, man, taxed with, with lockdown policies through the nose, right? Yeah. If we don't show that, then then I think it's going to fall um, on deaf ears as far as why this was so important. So Yeah, it's great to hear how big your crew got even because, I, you know, when I, when I was looking at this, I'm like, that sounds interesting, but I didn't know what to expect as far as production value or anything. But it sounds like it's going to be pretty big, pretty, pretty well done, eh? Yeah, we're we're going full on cinema for this one. That's what we Great. do professionally for it. But we're this one is kind of just uh, you know we're gonna work on this project for a year. We're doing nothing else, and uh, we're gonna we're just gonna make a beautiful film because we received a lot of footage. Like we were in Ottawa when the Emergencies Act d- d- dropped, and we were genuinely concerned. Um, you know, obviously for the for part of our crew that could fly. You know, we were having people fly out of the city with footage to make sure that it w- wouldn't get seized. Like um, a lot of this stuff, uh, it's a real honor, but we were able to be uh, behind the scenes in boardrooms with these organizers and we're going to get the truth out. That's great. Now, before we get to where people can find this, because I'm sure people are going to want to see it. I, I, I really do now, too. Um, Jeremy Regato and Andrew Peloso on the phone with us talking about Trucking for Freedom, this docuseries. Um I want to ask this question because it's it's part of the news cycle and it's it, the news cycle just moves so fast, you know, and this one really was the news for probably a good month, which as a person being in news, you don't really see that. I mean, things move quick and this one really was the story for a long time. But even I don't know, how did it end? You know, we saw all the all the people in Ottawa, but then, you know, something else was a shiny object and we all looked away and what happened? Did, how did it end? Did it end well? Yeah. yeah, so on a provincial level, like states down in the U.S., um, we did see a dropping of, of mandates. Um, and, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that that was right at the helm of the Emergencies Act coming to uh, um, coming to a close. But there was a lot of police action to break this thing up. Um, you know, under the cover of night, I got out of town um, with some of our team and just started driving west all the way back to um, uh, to our, our home province of Alberta. Um, so we did see uh, th- there was action taken to 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 take apart this movement. But I ultimately think what uh, the large faction of people in this convoy experienced was that um, the government um, uh, law enforcement essentially showed their hand and used force to uh, to break this up. And um, that ultimately 
um, is a victory because it took the freedom movement um, to new heights and the amount of rallies and, and uh, people that are waking up to the fact that we can't be silent and we need to stand up for freedom and we need to live as citizens in freedom to have a healthy democracy is um, that's become the absolute pinnacle of um, a large majority of Canadians here. So we are um, just trying to adequately show that movement. But, um, you know, there is still glaring concerns. You know, those who have chosen to be unvaccinated in uh, Canada cannot fly in their own country. Um, We're in a big country where we are essentially landlocked. Um, So, you know, it's uh, there are serious concerns still. And, um, uh, you know, we're just trying to show the story of this movement and people within that movement are definitely still doing everything in their power to uh, get their freedoms back. Well, I absolutely love what you guys have done. I hope that it's okay for me to say that I I felt the whole time, even as an American, we felt proud of what we were watching the trucker convoy accomplish in Canada. We've obviously got issues of our own. We're still dealing with things, too. We're fighting that fight, but we are right there with you. So thank you so much for what you've done with this series. Where can people find it if they want to go watch just the first episode and then, you know, see where it takes them? Yeah, so we have a, a website called uh, truckingforfreedom.com, www.truckingforfreedom.com. Uh, that's where this is readily available, uh, free for everyone, for always. Uh, there's no subscription, uh, nothing like that. Uh, our, um, our heart for this story is to get it out as wide and far as possible. Uh, we're, we're in conversations with different networks that are uh, talking with us about, about showcasing Trucking for Freedom on their networks. Um, so we're, we're lining up different opportunities there and, and we'll share those as they become uh, relevant. Um, but for the time being and for, for this Sunday, May 15th, uh, we'll be premiering uh, the first episode, Chapter 1, how we got here of trucking for freedom awesome the first one drops sunday so truckingforfreedom.com you guys go check it out with me this weekend i'm going to do the same thing and maybe we can touch base with you guys down the road and see how things are going 100 percent. would love to check in more and, and thank you for everything you're doing okay thank you so much more wiggins america right around the corner Welcome to Paradise, Wiggins, America. Well, now I heard that you've been talking about me. Whoa, I have left no time. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's what happens when you get interested in what the guests are saying. So if you want to hear that again, 971talk.com, or you can get the podcast as soon as we get it up this morning. If you want to hear about the Trucker Convoy, I think that's going to be a really, really interesting docuseries. I would love to help them get that out there more. I mean, that's why we're talking about it, but also using my own you know, film connections. I think I'm going to reach out to a few people and see if we can get that out there a little bit better than it is. I'm going to talk about this before the end of the show, too. Here's Joe Biden on how he's going to solve food shortages. We've got a long line to stand and celebrate. People line up all kinds of vehicles just to get a box of food. And they're drunk. 
How could we forget? People were hurting. And what, what is it that my crowd want to do? Forget it. Forget it. God, this is the United States of America. The idea that people would have to wait in line an hour, an hour and a half to get a box of food and they're drunk. It's unbelievable. Oh, good. That'll do it. That'll solve the food shortages. What the heck are you even talking about? Uh, stick around. Like I said, we're almost out of time here already. So let me just tell you, Trent Luce, an expert on food economics and what's coming. Are food shortages coming? Are we going to be okay? That's all coming up at the very beginning of the next hour, as well as Scott Angel. He is the former lieutenant governor of Louisiana, and he's deeply involved in the energy community now. One thing that I think is cool about him, he's nonpartisan, and he tries really hard to give people the benefit of the doubt. But the last couple of times we've talked to him, he's going, I don't know. I, I Honestly, I've never seen an administration be so dumb. <laughs> he's a fun guy to talk to. That's coming up next on Wiggins America. Yes, he will. Jesus will. Well, you may scorn me, turn you Wiggins back Wiggins America. God's got his arms wrapped all around. Get more at 971talk.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 